Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. We're going to look at uh, the book of Colossians this morning. We're actually going to start a series uh, on the book of Colossians, and so we're going to, it's kind of weird, uh, I'm going to start a little further in Colossians, and then next week we're going to go back and then go all the way through the, the book of Colossians. Uh, but I want to look in the book of Colossians uh, to show us some ways that we can build a presence-centered life. And those are the key words, presence-centered life. Now, what do I mean by that? I've talked a little bit about it this morning. Uh, I've talked a lot about it on Sunday morning uh, here as we gather together. What do I mean by a presence-centered life? Well, this is what I mean. Simply, God wants you to experience His presence. I talk about it a lot. I say it a lot. I encourage you to spend time in the presence of the Lord. And so in this refuge of grace where God has planted us and has called us to come up and operate as a refuge of grace, we have to be people that live a presence-centered life. We can't live a self-centered life. Now, there are a lot of ways that you could live a a self-centered life. There are a lot of ways that you could put self before error. You could even live an others-centered life. And some people would tell you that that's the right way to live. It's, it's okay to focus on other people before yourself. People will encourage you, put others before yourself. But I would say that before we do anything, we have to first put Jesus and live a presence-centered life. And so we're going to talk about that a lot over the next, it probably will lead us up to Easter, which is on April 17th. But before we get to the book of Colossians, I want to ask you to turn to Colossians, and I want to ask you to stay in Colossians. We're going to read from Colossians 2, but I want to share with you how I got to Colossians from going back and reading some scripture from Genesis chapter 17. So last week, I didn't get to preach But that was enough preaching and worship, I think, for the next month, right? We were so blessed by Newhart and and Pastor Butts, and I thank Pastor Morgan for orchestrating that and working out all the details in that. Um, And I'm excited to see how we are able to not only walk uh, with Newhart, but with other churches in this community. I was meeting with another pastor Uh, on Friday, I'm meeting with several more pastors. We are part of the body of Christ, and we've got to work together, so I'm excited about that. But the week before, so two weeks ago, I I was uh, reading through the book of Genesis, a passage of scripture stuck out in Genesis chapter 17, keep reading in, or Genesis 16, keep reading in that, get to Genesis chapter 17, and this scripture has really just caused me every day to come back and focus on this scripture. Genesis 17 verses 1 and 2. This is what the scripture says. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, these are God's words, I am God Almighty. The word there is El Shaddai. I am El Shaddai. 
probably remember the song in the late 80s, uh, the early 90s, it was El Shaddai, El Shaddai. So that really familiarized us with this word. It simply means that God holds all power. He is God Almighty. So the authority, the power, everything rests with Him. And so here... God made a promise back in Genesis chapter 7 or Genesis chapter 16. We're in Genesis 17. There's been about 20 or 25 years that has transpired between this promise. So can you imagine God making a promise to you and then 25 years later that promise is still not fulfilled and God shows up hasn't spoken to you for a period of time, a couple of decades, and God shows up and he says, listen, I hold all power. Now, I don't know about you, but I will tell you about Michael Chambliss. That's all I know. When God shows up after making a promise two to two and a half decades later, and he says, I hold all power, do you know what my response would have been? It probably would have been, well, where is the fulfillment of the promise that you made to me two to two and a half decades ago? Now, this is significant in what, is, what God is actually declaring here to Abraham or to Abram. This time has transpired. God has been silent in this. Abraham has traveled. He's been with family. There's been family that has left. And all of a sudden, God shows up because, listen and don't miss this, the timing is right in Abram's life. And God makes the declaration, I am El Shaddai. I am the powerful one. I am God Almighty. Now listen to what the next thing that God says to Abram. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. So I wanted to, I wanted to know what this walk before me actually means. I, I, I don't know Hebrew. I just know how to look up Hebrew. Um, I thank God for online resources because it has helped me in understanding the Bible. So I, I wanted to see what this phrase, walk before me, actually means. A literal translation of this means, walk in my presence. You see, what God is declaring here to Abram is God holds all power and he is extending to Abram an invitation. If you want to be connected to the power source for your life, then you need to walk in his presence. There's two things that, the, that are invitations, and we'll look at these over the next several weeks, for Abram from God Almighty, from El Shaddai. He says, walk before me, walk in my presence. And the second part of that is be faithful and blameless. Oh my word, how is that even possible? How is it possible that we can be faithful, to walk faithfully in the presence of the Lord? How is it possible for us to be blameless in the presence of the Lord? Well, these elements that we've received this morning are the demonstration that Jesus gave to us to continue after he ascended to heaven as a reminder of ways that we can faithfully walk in the presence of the Lord and be blameless. Because it's nothing that we can do on our own, but instead it is the price or the debt that Jesus paid for us that tore the veil of the temple in two and gave us access to the presence of God. If we were to look at Genesis chapter 17 verse 2 in the Amplified Bible, 
It says, walk habitually. I put this verse up there for that one word, habitually. Because you can't experience the presence of God once and you're done for the rest of your life. It has to be habitually, continuously. Do you know what a habit is like? Have you ever tried to break a habit? You know, they tell you to get these rubber bands and put them around your, put them around your wrist. And whenever you're doing this habit that you want to break, you're supposed to pop that rubber band and hurt yourself because there's some type of chemistry that goes on in your mind that equates that habit with the pop, the, the, the hurt, the pain on your wrist. I've shared with you about our dog, and the one thing that drives me crazy about little Yoda is that at nighttime, he thinks that he is our guard dog, and that he has to bark at every single noise to alert us that there is some type of noise. And it drives me bonkers, and I want to help him break this habit. So they have this amazing machine that you put a 9-volt battery in and you set it on your nightstand. And when the dog barks, it can determine that the dog is barking and makes this not audible to my ears, but audible to his ears, so that he barks and then shortly after that, he stops. It's amazing. But you know what? He had this habit. It was maybe instinct inside of him, the way that sin is instinctive inside of us that it just came out sometimes. And we've been helping him, thanks to a 9-volt battery and a little box this big, break that habit. And when I read this, walk habitually, that's what I thought of. It's just there. It's just instinct. You just do it. The invitation all the way back in Genesis 17 from God was for us to habitually walk in his presence. And the Amplified, it goes on to say, walk habitually before me with integrity, knowing that you are always in my presence and be blameless and complete in obedience to me. So this is the invitation of God that we have to walk in his presence. And you know what? In Colossians chapter 2, Paul is wrestling with some presence robbers, some presence thieves. Or they think that they're operating in this great way in the church. And they have all of their rules, and they have everything of the do's and everything of the don'ts, and they're telling people in the ways that they actually can experience the presence of God, but instead what they are doing is actually robbing the presence of God. You know that presence robbers actually distract us from God's presence? That's what they they want to do. The scripture that we have is that God is always there. So whether you acknowledge it or not is up to you. God is always there. We have the choice to walk in God's presence or to ignore God's presence. A couple of weeks ago, I actually saw one of our teachers having a conversation with a little kid. Um, It was in trouble out in the hallway. And the teacher, this is what caught me. The teacher said, do you hear what I am saying to you? And I stopped and I paid attention The kid was looking directly at her, but I think the kid was on a whole nother planet from where the teacher was actually at. But the teacher was there. The teacher was speaking. 
the student had the opportunity to pay attention to the teacher or to completely ignore the teacher and pretend that they were out on Pluto, not hearing one word that the teacher said. God's presence is always where you are. Amen? We can't control or dictate God's presence. The choice for us is are we going to pay attention or are we going to turn our back and ignore the presence of God? Now, the choice is not up to us. The choice is actually God's. He is there. Now, there are times that God would abandon us because of disobedience. That's, that's a whole other thing that we'll get to probably in three or four weeks when we actually take a look at this. But what we have to know is that there are grace robbers or presence robbers that are in our midst that want to distract us from God's presence. One of those presence robbers are that they would tell us that you must do this in order to be saved to experience the presence of God. You have to do X, Y, and Z in order to experience the presence of God or to be in relationship with Him. Listen, that is a lie from the enemy. You don't have to do anything. The choice is not up to us. The choice was up to God, and He already made that choice to come in the flesh to pay the debt for every single one of us. And so here, the Apostle Paul, in the book of Colossians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is in prison. And he has gotten word that there are some false teachers and their attempt in their false teaching is to rob people from the presence of God. Now, some of them think that they are working to get people to the presence of God and they are actually implementing steps that would bring about the presence of God. They're trying to conjure up the presence. And Paul has gotten word of this, and he's actually become pretty upset of what's taking place, and that's a part of the reason of this letter. Colossians chapter 2, we're going to read a, little bit, a good bit of Scripture here. We're going to start at verse 13 and read through the end of the chapter. Paul writes, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature... God made you alive with Christ. How did he do that? It was his presence that made that possible. God made you alive through his presence because nothing is holy other than God. And it is only his presence, his holiness, that makes us alive. He goes on in verse 13 and says, He forgave us all our sins having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, catch this, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Just hold your finger right there, we'll come back to that. I love Paul's language here. When the presence robbers are saying you have to do X, Y, and Z in order to experience the presence of God, Paul says whatever your X, Y, and Z is, God came in the flesh through Jesus and he made a public spectacle of them by nailing them to the cross. So up until this point, there were certain things that had to be done so that this sin debt could be paid. 
And so the Old Testament was over, and now they're living in this New Testament that Jesus invited us in. The fulfillment of the prophecy, Emmanuel, God with us, that we would be able to experience his presence. And what Paul is saying here is everything that you have done in the past that helped you, whatever the feast, the festival, the law, all of this stuff that has been in the past that you did so that you would be right with God, it's now been made a public spectacle when Jesus nailed it to the cross. Now, this wasn't just a problem some 2,000 or so years ago when Paul was writing this to our Colossian brother and sisters in Christ. This is as much a problem today in 2022 in the church and around the globe as it is as it was back then 2,000 or so years ago. Because we think that we can earn our way into relationship with Jesus Christ that then gives us access to the presence of God. But listen, we did not pay the price to be able to experience God with us, to experience his presence. And so because we didn't pay the price of admission, there's nothing that we can do or nothing that we can pay that continues to give us the admission to experience the presence of God. It's like going to a baseball game. Well, we're not going to go to baseball games, sorry. Baseball has been canceled, if you didn't know that. They're, they're debating, and the owners have locked out the players. I'm really upset about that. Uh, I love baseball. It's, we'll use football instead. We'll use just a different set of millionaires and billionaires. <laughs> it's like going to a football game, and somebody paid your price of admission for you to get into the football game. In the football game, when you show your ticket to get in, And we can't mix this up. I'm using this as an analogy that I'm going to have to clarify at the end, but I want you to catch this. You have full access to the entire game, right? The access is yours because the price was paid by somebody else. They don't get to the end of the first quarter and walk around and say, you owe X number of dollars to get to continue watching the second quarter. They don't get to halftime and say, you've got to keep paying the price in order to get to the third quarter. Or you've got to pay a little bit more if you want to get to the fourth quarter and then see to the end of the game. And then you have to pay X number of dollars so that you can see the winning team celebrate on the field at the end. No, there is one admission price to the game. And then it's $10 for a hot dog and $15 for a soda after that. But that's on you. Somebody paid the price for you to get into the game. You are able to stay for the entire game. Now, don't miss this. You have have the right to lead the game if you want to. Jesus didn't pay the price for you and you receive it. And it doesn't matter how you live from that time until Jesus comes back. You have an obligation But that obligation to God is not what paid the price for you to get into the game. You can't miss this because the enemy wants to lie to you and steal the opportunity for you to have access to the presence of God. You cannot do anything that would allow you to experience the presence of God other than surrender completely to him. Paul said, whatever it is that you think that you would be able to do so that you can experience the presence of God, he made a public spectacle out of it by nailing it to the cross. He goes on in verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink 
or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Again, here's what Paul says. The reality of all of that stuff that they used to do in order to have access to be in right relationship with God, Paul says here in the end of verse 17, the reality, however, is found in Christ. Anything, don't miss this, anything that someone would say to you that you have to do to experience the presence of Christ is a presence robber that the enemy is using in your life. So what does this look like in a refuge, a refuge of grace? We have to be people that are constantly experiencing the presence of Christ. Because we cannot win people to ourselves. Our goal is to win people to Jesus Christ, who extends to them the offer of grace, which is access to his full presence. You cannot mix this stuff up because otherwise we're living like some mixed up people who thought they had the gospel right back when Paul was writing this letter. Billy Graham actually said it this way. He said it's a legalistic lie. For salvation, God does his part and then I do my part. That's a legalistic lie. We, we cannot have a part in this. Otherwise, we're going to wind up like Adam and Eve back in Genesis chapter, through, uh, Genesis chapter 3. There is no part in this. This is a legalistic lie that God has a part and we have a part. So I want you to watch this. This is a book. It's a, it's a hymnal. Um, and I want, you, I want you to watch this and I want you to catch this. So watch, watch this book. I'm just going to release the book, and it's going to fall to the ground. Why did the book fall? wasn't anything I did. The book fell, not because of anything the book did. The book fell for one reason, and that was gravity. The book had no part in the falling, right? The book just fell because of gravity. For us to experience the presence of God, we are just like the book. And we get drawn to the presence through Jesus Christ. In the same way that the book was drawn to the floor of this, this platform by gravity. We have no part other than surrender. When this book was let go, it was surrendered completely to gravity. I'm going to slide it over here. Otherwise, I'll fall over it a little later on. So the question for us, the question for us has to be, how do you experience the presence of God? How do we build a presence-centered life? Well, here in Colossians chapter 2, Paul has given us a lot of don'ts. We're going to look at these don'ts. And we're going to look at a lot of the things that we should do. It really gets awesome when we get to Colossians chapter 3. And Paul starts to lay some things out that help us continue to walk in the presence of God. But in Acts chapter 16, there were some jailers who were around some of the apostles. 
And they saw that the apostles were experiencing the presence of God. And the, uh, the, the jailer said, what do we have to do in order to be saved? What is it that we can do in order to experience the presence of God in the way that you are experiencing the presence of God? And this is what they replied. This is the answer. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's it. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Surrender your life. That's, that's the believing that's taking place here. If God says something, you believe it. It doesn't matter what others say. It doesn't matter what the enemy says. It doesn't matter what tradition may hold. If God says it, you believe it. If God takes, if God has given it to us in his word, you believe it. And that's going to give you the full access to the presence of God. Because God has already done everything necessary for you to walk with him and experience his presence. Everything has already been set up. Everything has already been arranged. Everything has already been taken care of. It's already done. All he is waiting on is for you to believe in him and to live a life surrendered completely to him. It's already been taken care of. On the cross, Jesus paid it all. He paid the price and made a public spectacle, Paul says, out of everything, out of everything that people might say that you have to do in order to believe in Jesus Christ. So Paul wrestled with this and he fought about this. He fought um, with this idea or this mindset a lot. And we can take a look at a lot of Paul's writings and we can see how Paul was wrestling with the church almost constantly of things that people were saying you had to do so that you could be in right relationship with God. You've got to do this. You have to do this. You don't do this. You don't do that. But I, I just made a list of some things here that we often confuse. Walking with God is different from going to church. Whenever you walk with God, you want to go to church. But if you go to church, that doesn't mean that you walk with God. It's different. It's different. And you may have come to this building or other buildings that would say that they are Jesus-worshiping church for decades, and you can still not be walking with God. Here's the interesting thing that I think that we can learn from Abram in Genesis chapter 17. There was about two decades or so that we don't have any writings of what was taking place. We can glean some of the things that were actually taking place from Scripture. We can see some of it that's taking place a little bit later on. But what is interesting to me is we don't see anywhere in here of how Abram was walking with God. We see some ways that in Genesis 16 of how he got frustrated and then he wasn't walking in God's presence anymore. He actually got ahead of God. He messed up and he thought God needed a little bit of help in his life. But the amazing thing here is God shows up in Genesis chapter 17 again. And he says to Abram, listen, walk in my presence. Walk with me. Walk in my, my presence. Experience me. And then you know what the second part, let me put it back up here for you. The second part of that verse, in verse 2, it says, Then I will make my covenant between me, and you will greatly increase your numbers. Here's what God, again, is reinforcing to Abram. If you want the blessing, you've got to walk in his presence. That, God had already made the promise. We had seen the promise. Go back to Genesis 12. We've seen the promise reaffirmed. God said, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. You're going to have so many kids, they will outnumber the number of the stars in the sky. And we're now decades later, and it hasn't come to promise. 
Abraham, or it hasn't come into fulfillment. Abraham's walking around probably thinking, what am I going to do? We see how he got ahead of God in Genesis chapter 16. But here, God reaffirms what Abram needs to do. And it's true for us today in 2022. God says two things. One, walk in my presence. In verse 1, and then in verse 2, he says, and then I will make my covenant between me and you. You see, a lot of us want the blessing in, chap- in verse 2. A lot of us want the blessing in verse 2. But we don't want to walk with God in verse 1. And what God is saying to Abram is, I made a promise to you. And if you want to get to that promise, then you've got to live in verse 1, and you've got to walk in his presence. Why is it then that in 2022, we want to live like Abram in Genesis chapter 7, in Genesis chapter 16, and we want to go out and we want to make our own family, and we want to do our own thing. And then God shows up and he says, whoa, 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 whoa. I've told you what you need to do so that you can get the promise. So why aren't you doing that? And you know what? I have seen, I have experienced, and I have done it. I've oftentimes gotten frustrated with God when I know that God has said something or I know that God has led in a certain way, but I have not walked in Genesis 17.1 in living in his presence If you want to get to the promise in two, you've got to walk in his presence in verse one. And this is what Paul is saying in his writings in the book of Colossians. And he said it again in Romans chapter 10, verse two, three, and four. He says, for I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. Now, some of the people that Paul was writing about in the book of Colossians that were telling the believers, you've got to do X, Y, and Z in order to experience the promise of God. Paul, too, was zealous about them. They thought they were doing the right thing, but they were missing the work of God. Paul goes on, he says, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Oh, my. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Let me sum that up for you. If you want to get to the blessing or the promise fulfilled, you have to walk in God's presence And that's what Paul is saying in Colossians. That's what God is saying to Abram in Genesis chapter 17. And that is true for every single one of us today, right here in 2022. The warning from Abram and the warning from Paul is that your walk with God doesn't have to look like everybody else's walk with God. We experienced some of that here in this room last Sunday. We're worshiping a little bit different than we did last Sunday. And you know what? That's okay. There are some other brothers and sisters of ours just a few blocks from here that are worshiping in a very liturgical, formal way. And you know what? That's okay. There are some others that are worshiping in a way that is a little bit more traditional than the way that we're worshiping here today. And that is okay. And there are some that are worshiping far more contemporary than we are here today. 
Some have rooms that are lit up as bright as looking at the sun almost. And others are, have rooms that are as dark almost as the midnight and you can't see a few inches in front of your face. And you know what? That's okay. You know why? Because none of that gets us to experiencing the presence of God. The goal of all of that is to draw us into the presence of God. And so I would say to us, you have to be in whatever suits you to get you closer to the presence of God. Because your walk with God doesn't have to look like anybody else's walk with God. I struggled with this. Pastor Brooke shared this uh, in chapel um, with our secondary kids, 7th through 12th grade, right here in this room this past Thursday. She was talking about their testimony. I struggled with my testimony when I was growing up. I grew up in the church. The first time I went to church, I was 16 days old. I did, I've not missed a whole lot of Sundays since those 16 days old. That's just how I was raised. That's just how I was brought up. But my walk with God doesn't look like other people's walk with God. But nobody told me that it didn't have to look like somebody else's walk with God. And I would go to youth camps, and I would go um, to... Um, I would go to youth conventions. I'd go to all of these different things. And they would always bring out the meanest, baddest sinner to try to make a point to all of us. And there would be people that stand on the platform and say, I've done this, and I've done this, and I've killed 15 people, and I've, I've eaten people, or whatever. You know, they'd tell you all of these crazy stories, and they'd tell you all of this bad stuff that they did. And then I got to feeling bad because I never did any of that stuff. <laughs> and I thought, maybe I'm not saved. But you know what? My walk with God to experiencing his presence doesn't have to look like somebody else's walk with God to experiencing his presence. And I eventually got to a place in Bible college that I realized that I should thank God because I didn't have to experience all of that to get into the presence of God. You can't compare who you are to somebody else. That's a lie of the enemy. And you know what that is? That is a presence robber. You've got to call it out. You've got to call the enemy the liar that he is so that you are able to truly experience the presence of God. The legalist would say, and this is what they were saying here that Paul was fighting against. The legalist would say that we all have to look and act the same. We all have to look and act the same. I want you to look at your neighbor right here. Just turn and look at your neighbor right quick and look at their nose now turn to the other side and look at that neighbor's nose. Doesn't God have a sense of humor that he made noses the way that he did? There are some noses that are wide noses. There are some noses that are narrow noses. There are some noses that need the wide load sign coming ahead of you with the lights flashing before you, go, before you walk out the doors. There are other noses that it looks like, where did your nose go? But you know what? They all breathe in the same air, right? And that's okay. Your nose doesn't have to look like your neighbor's nose, or it doesn't have to look like the perfect nose, and you don't have to go down and pay thousands of dollars to have the perfect nose shaped on your face so that you can breathe. Your nose breathes the same air that your neighbor's, air, that your neighbor's nose actually breathes in. And so your nose does not have to look like your neighbor's nose. Thank God, right? Because your nose fits who you are. Your walk with God doesn't have to look like your neighbor's walk with God. And that's a great thing. 
Because God crafted in them and has ordained their steps, everything that he wants in their path, to lead them deeper into his presence. And God crafted your steps and knit inside of you exactly what he wanted to lead you deeper in his presence. Here's what matters, that you experience the presence of God and you build a presence-centered life. So for the next several weeks, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how to live out Genesis chapter 17, verse 1 and 2, with the instructions that Paul has given us in the book of Colossians. We're going to look at things that we can practically put in place. I've told you a lot of the problem. I want you to be back next week because we're going to start looking at a lot of the solution. God said, I am God Almighty. He's saying, I hold all power. I am El Shaddai. Walk before me or walk in my presence faithfully or habitually and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. I think that for this next however long, I think that this is what God wants to do in this refuge of grace. It's not about increasing the numbers. It's about increasing the awareness of his presence in our lives. And that's what we're going to focus on. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you you continue to join us as we lean into God's Word together. Until next time, have a great week and be blessed.